I got to get Brother Moon time to uh, put this mic on. I meant to get him up here earlier, and I forgot amidst all those extra announcements. But again, we are honored and thrilled to have him with us. And boy, I tell you what, I'm so glad you came back tonight, and I know you're going to be glad you did. I'm looking for my wife right now, so oh, there we go. So I don't have to look and meander about aimlessly. Um, let's see, what was that joke I told this morning? Singles? <clears throat> what was that? Something about a caveman? Oh, I can't remember. Some caveman's out walking or something. What do you call him? A Neanderthal? <laughs> Meandering Neanderthal? Okay, but anyway. All right, so anyway, he's better get Brother Moon up here now. All right, hey. Great to see you this evening. Thank you for being here. And it's always a joy to be able to come and to be a part here at the Community Baptist Temple. If you have your Bibles, please open up to the book of Ezekiel. Uh, Brad, that's in the Old Testament. And uh, he doesn't know, bless his heart. I used to have to open his Bible and turn it for him. He couldn't even do that. We did get him at least. By the way, Brad gave me this and said, I brought you water up there, and I gave you a little one. He said, and he said, I figured if you had a little one, you wouldn't preach as long. <laughs> you know, that doesn't make any difference. In fact, I do the opposite. If I have more water, it makes me have to go to, well, anyway. And uh, if I don't, then I, I can go for a long time. And I drove all the way here without stopping yesterday, so if that tells you anything. But I didn't have, and I had two waters, so you imagine what will happen if I, with that one, I can go for a long time. We'll, we'll be here all night. Anyway, well, it's good to see you here. God bless you. Thank you for coming back tonight. I'm honored you came. I'm honored that I'm here. What a privilege, what an opportunity. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, uh, to Exodus, did I say Exodus or Ezekiel? Let's go to Ezekiel, because that's where I'm supposed to be. Ezekiel chapter 22. Please stand with me, if you would, please, out of respect and honor for God's Word. I'm going to read just a few, few verses. Go to the last few verses, last two verses, and then we'll talk about the whole chapter. But the last two verses, very familiar passage as far as uh, things we've heard about it and so forth. Look at, if you would, please, Ezekiel chapter 22, verse number 30. And I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap, before me in the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Father, please, I beg you, as I preach this message tonight, it could be a message that was heavy, but yet I need your help with it. And I believe, I believe that we're in a time in America when we need to have someone some many people, men and women, to make up the hedge and stand in the gap that you'll not destroy this country. And I'm asking you tonight to meet with us. Give me your liberty as I preach. Holy Spirit of God, go over this whole crowd tonight and touch our hearts and help us obey your command and do what's right. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. As I look at this passage, the whole, book, uh, whole chapter... God gives a, a definite, not a definition, but an explanation and shares with us what the children of Israel, the Jews, were going through and what their life was like at this time. Now, please understand me. I know that this was written to the Jews. I understand that. But I also know that all scriptures given by inspiration of God is proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, for and I know that. And I know that all Scripture, that means this Scripture like all the others. But I realize in this passage, he's specifically talking about things that Israel did, how they acted and reacted, what was going on in their lives and the life of the leadership and so forth. I understand that. But I think there's a lot of comparisons here that I want to draw tonight and bring out and then share a few thoughts with you after I draw those and bring those out. So please bear with me as I begin and try to lay a foundation uh, as what he's talking about here. Now go, if you would, with me, and I want to just share a few thoughts this evening. I'm not going to uh, share a lot of things funny or anything like that, because really what I want to talk about tonight is not funny. What I want to talk about tonight is very serious. And what I want to say tonight is very important for us as a country and us, uh, we who are Christians to look at what God says about this nation of Israel and what he said about them. 
I want you to notice in our text, he said, and I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before the land. Notice these next few words, phrase, that I might not destroy it. That I might not destroy it. Now, I'm going to make a statement here. In the end times, when we read about after the rapture takes place, I don't know, and pastor, I may be wrong, but theologically, I don't know that America's ever even mentioned. Now, I don't know. Again, I'm not a great prophecy guy, and I don't get into prophecy like some people do, and, and so on. but I do know this. I do know that I find no place where America's even mentioned. Now, Maybe on purpose it's out. I don't know. I'm not God. I, didn't, I, I can't make those sta- uh, decisions and statements. Other than to say this, if she's not there, where did she go? Now, I don't know what God's going to do. But I think America is at a very important stage in its history. I, in my lifetime, have never seen some of the stuff that's happening. That's happening in America today. And I want you to notice these folks were in a very precarious situation likewise. And God said to them, if I don't find a man that'll make up the hedge and stand in the gap, I'm going to destroy it. And it's very important for us to see that God is no respecter of persons. And God's not going to let America live like a bunch of heathens and reprobates without taking some steps in the life of America. It's just not going to happen. God would have to go back and apologize to everybody else. And he's not going to do that. Now I want you to notice, first of all, the condition of the land. Look at verse 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Now the sons of man wilt thou judge, wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. Then say thou, thus saith the Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it, and her... Uh, and that her time may come and maketh idols against herself to defile herself. Now, I want you to notice something. This America, as you read through, uh, this Jews, as you read through the first about 24 verses, you find what this country was like. And the first thing they find out in the first 16 verses, they were just degenerate. They were a degenerate nation. They had come to the point where they had uh, degenerated, I mean, gone down so badly that it was wicked. And it was wicked, wicked, wicked. Now, I want you to notice something. First of all, they had become murderers. I want you to notice verse number three and four. Then, then, then say thou, thus saith the Lord God, the city sheddeth blood in the midst of it. Look at verse four. Thou art become guilty in, the, in thy blood that thou hast shed. Look at verse number six. Behold, the prince of Israel, everyone were in thee to their power to shed blood. Look at verse number nine. In thee, all men that carry tales to shed blood. Now look at verse number 12. And he says, in thee have they taken gifts to shed blood. Gifts to shed blood. Now, I don't know about you, but America is becoming known as the ones who kill babies. When Roe versus Wade was taken, we started down a very wicked, vile path. And who would have ever thunk? Who would have ever thought that we would have a governor of Virginia to stand up and say what he said a few weeks ago? When he stood up and said, we'll allow him to have the baby and then make the baby comfortable while the parents, while the mama and the doctor decide what to do with the baby. Friend, I don't know about you. But that's nothing but outright murder, capital murder. And to even discuss it in a place that was founded on biblical principles like America is disgusting and and downright irate. I cannot even believe it. And he can try to backpedal all he wants to. And for the state of New York... To say it's okay to have a baby up until the moment it's born, to go ahead and commit, to murder it, and that's all it is, to murder it up to the point that it's born, right before it's born, and then for the mayor, the governor, to say light up the city and make it look good, and, and, and let's rejoice and celebrate. I said, celebrate. I said, celebrate the fact that we're going to murder an innocent baby. Brother, how far have we fallen? And then, 
for our illustrious Congress to stand up, led by Miss Pelosi, and to not be willing to take a vote to against that shows where we're at as a nation. And friends, I don't care if you're a Democrat, I don't care if you're a Republican, I don't care if you're independent, I don't care if you're nothing. This book says murdering babies is murder. Abortion's murder. You call it hate speech, call it anything you want to do. God's word said it's murder. In America today, we have gone over the boundaries. And boy, we're going to be challenged by all those who say, that, you know, they're challenged. And, and praise God, in, in Mississippi, they passed the heartbeat rule. Because the big thing about Roe versus Wade was, it's not really a baby, it's just a mass. Well, a mass doesn't have a heart that beats. It's got a heartbeat, it's a live person. And they want to pass it in other states and they're going to challenge it. Well, we're going to challenge it. We're taking away a woman's rights. Honey, let me tell you something. You don't have a right to kill your baby. Now, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I could have told you how to kept that from happening. There are methods. But what we've done is we've gone down a path that's going to be hard to backtrack on. I mean, well, look. What ha- why have we got to the point where all these killings in public places and killings in, in, uh, in, in, uh, in schools to go in and just mass murder kids in the school? It's not because of guns. We've had the guns all along and we didn't do that. Good night, wake up and smell the roses. We've had guns all along and we didn't do that. The gun's not the problem. The person holding the gun, killing people is the problem. And it's what we've done. We devalued life when we started killing babies. And we've devalued the, the, uh, a life, and life's not what it used to be. Why? Because we're just shedding blood all over the place. And he said, I'm going to tell you, degenerate, they shed blood. They become murderers. I know that. They're idolatrous. Look, we've come to the point now where we worship everything except the God who made us. We worship, and we say, no, not me. But I know people in good fundamentally Independent Baptist churches, if their foot basketball team is playing, I know people in Kentucky that when the Wildcats are playing, if it's on a Sunday night in the NCAA tournament, they will not be at church on Sunday night. What? And can I say something very kindly? That's not some place you had to be at home watching that game. You know why they do it, Pastor? Because they made that their God that night. They're adulterers. They're worse than the idol of sports. I remember a day when nobody played sports on Sunday except professional teams. You know, I have more respect for the Mormons than I do for most independent Baptists. If Brigham Young gets in the tournament, which they didn't do this year, unless it's changed, habitually, if they get in the tournament, the tournament committee schedules them to play on, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, not on Friday, Sunday. And if they'd have been in the final, uh, in the Elite Eight, they'd have played Thursday night and Saturday. And if they were in the Final Four, of course, it's Saturday and, and Monday, so they're okay. And that's the Mormons. But that's not the case of the other ones that call themselves Baptist. What have we done? Recreation, sports, our children. Oh, I couldn't come to church because my kids were going to be playing a game. Well, sports and your children became your God instead of God being your God. I mean, you get mad at me. I'm leaving town Thursday morning anyway. Right? Well, we won't give you a love offering. Okay, that's fine. I'm on the payroll at Shawnee. As long as I get my gas money, I'm in good shape. Make the same I would have made if I'd stayed at home all week. And if pastor takes me out to eat enough, truthfully, the difference in what I eat and the gas money, I'll break even anyway. (laughs) But let's be honest. We have got to the point where sports, look, you can't, you find it in your bus routes. Well, we got football in the fall. Little, little, guy, little league football. When did we start playing that on Sunday? 
Why? You know what I'm saying? We devalued God and made it our idol. I'm not telling you, friends, and it's going that way fast. No, that, look at this. They, look at verse 8. They have despised mine holy things and have profaned my, profaned my Sabbaths. They became unholy. There was no difference between the holy and the unholy. You look at our church. Boy, I'm so glad today. Uh, the music's been wonderful today. Choir did a fabulous job. Song, song leader was a little weak, but you can't win them all, right? But no, seriously, music was fantastic. Specials were fantastic. I was telling pastor, I went down and did my brother-in-law died. 57 years old, died about three, two and a half weeks ago with a heart attack. Just my wife talked to him. Uh, and you never know when you're going to die. Talked to him for 37 minutes on the phone. Got off the phone and one hour later, he died of a heart attack. She was very close to him. I preached his funeral. The very heartfelt. Had four sons. Youngest was 15. Didn't have a daddy anymore. I know how he feels. I was 17 and I lost mine. It was tough. It was a tough funeral. I preached. Four people, four adults got saved there. One of his best friends got saved. But listen to this. When they got ready to leave, they, they had such trouble leaving. We like to never left the funeral home. Go around last, shake hands, and the family has that final see, a, see, a, a final viewing time with their, with their loved ones in the casket. They couldn't hardly get away from it. We almost had to, I, I almost had to be mean and say, folks, we, we have to go, y'all. Y'all need to say your final byes and let them shut the casket. And I'm the brother-in-law. Can I say this? There was five children in that family, four girls and a boy. I'm the only male in that generation left. Everybody else, two died with a heart attack, one died with cancer, another one died with something else. I forgot. I'm it. I'm kind of lonely. I go there, it's me and a bunch of women. <laughs> That's it. I'm going to tell you something. I went to the church, and the music was no different than what I grew up on. At, not at the funeral, but at the church I went to. The church I got saved at. At night, I said to Sheila, I don't think I can take the music tonight. <laughs> I just can't take no more of it. I'm going to see my friend. It's 50 minutes away. I called him to make sure what time it was, and he said, well, won't you come preach? And I did. Greg Nice, good guy, good friend of mine. Here's what I was going to say. We've lost the difference between the holy and the unholy. We step on the platform and we do stuff that we would have never dreamed of doing 15 or 20 years ago. All in the name of we're just trying to be like, we're trying to reach the millennials. I got news for you millennials. Here's how we reach you. I was once young. And you know what they said? You can't preach to young people like that. But they got up and ripped and snorted. And, and for some reason, I was drawn to that. And I heard it and God got a hold of my heart, Brother Rick. And I said, that's for me. And I surrendered, and I'm here today. I'm 62. Handsome 62, Brother Dave. He's younger than I am. Look at him. Just look at him. He looks like he's almost my father. All right, I said I wasn't going to be funny, and here I went off on a trail. Sorry about that, Brother David. You're the, that's it. I'll try not to go, lose, go on the rabbit trail again. Man, what has happened to us? I'll tell you what's happened. We've become unholy. No difference between the holy and profane. That's why there used to be a day when the president, get mad at me if you want to, and the senators and the congressmen used proper language when they talked to us. And they didn't cuss and use dirty language and take God's name in vain because they don't like their opponents. God help us. That's where we're at. How long do you think God's going to allow that? We have become immoral. The millennials... Live together instead of marrying. It's called adultery or fornication. Adultery and fornicators, God will judge. The bed's undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. They, look, look at verse 10. 
In, in thee have they discovered their father's nakedness. In thee have they humbled her that was set apart for pollution. One hath committed abomination with his neighbor's wife. Another hath lewdly defiled his daughter-in-law. Another in thee have humbled his sister, his father's daughter. They were immoral. We live in one of the most immoral countries in the world. The vulgarity. The immorality. The lack of clothing. is unbelievable. Look at verse 12. In thee have they taken gifts to shed blood. Thou hast taken usury and increase. Thou hast greedily gained of thy neighbors by extortion and hath forgotten me, saith the Lord God. They forgot God. We live in a country where it's unbelievable. We have a group right now out of Wisconsin called Freedom From Religion. If anybody does anything somewhat religious in a public setting, they jump on it and threaten them with lawsuits and everything else. God help their wicked souls. I feel, honestly, I'm not mad at them. I feel sorry for them. You imagine them having to face God one day when they took and hundreds and thousands and thousands of people were polluted by their garbage. And people are going to be in hell because of what they have done. How would you like to face it? I feel sorry for him. I was behind while I was down at the funeral down in Tennessee, Winchester, Tennessee. I was behind a, a, one of their, for, fortunately, I was behind the policeman. He wasn't behind me. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't like it when they're behind me. And I was behind him, and I looked at his license plate, and it said, in God we trust. On the license plate, on, not the license plate, on the back of the, uh, uh, written, I mean, uh, oh, what do you call it? Not written on there. Uh, like a, what's it called? Like, yeah, like it's not a stencil thing, but anyway, a, a rap, they call them, or whatever it is, you know, like, like, like Gary Friedman did, whatever they're called. They know who Gary Fried is. Decal. Thank you. I knew you were good for something. A decal back and said, in God we trust. And I thought, here's my immediate thoughts was, I hope the freedom from religion crowd out of Wisconsin doesn't see that. They'll be, suing the, the, they'll be suing Franklin County, Tennessee. To tell them they got to take it off of it because it's a public, it's a, it's a, it's a sheriff's car and it's a public, uh, uh, bought by taxpayers. Who most of those people believe in God, by the way, that bought it. Now that, they become dishonest. Verse 12 and 13. Look at them. They, thou hast taken usury and increase. They have greedily gained of the neighbors by extortion. Extortion. Verse 13. Behold, therefore, I have smitten mine hand at thy dishonest gain which I have made, at thy blood which I have been in the midst of thee. Do you know, I remember a day. Listen to me now. I remember a day when if I said, I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to make a deal, that you and I would stand up and shake hands. We didn't need any paperwork. Your word was good for what it was. And my word was good for what it was. And when we shook our hand, it was sealed, signed, sealed, and delivered. Now you got to have 14 different things and notarized and everything else. And then there's some loophole that some lawyer will find and get them out of that. I was talking to a young guy here that day. I said, well, you don't have your card anymore. What happened? He said, oh, I, I, just, I gave it back to him. You can just give it back to him? That's weird. I thought you had to actually... Pay the difference when they've repossessed it. Our politicians are dishonest. They get up and say one thing and turn around and say, and they'll say, I didn't say that. And you listen to the tape where they said it. Well, I didn't really say that. Well, who was that that looked like you and talked like you and said it was you that was saying it? And it wasn't doctored. It wasn't doctored up or changed. Look, our politicians are dishonest. Not all of them, but many of them. You heard them, the leaders especially. We don't, and then they go do it. I'm for this until the other ones get in control. If they're for it, then I'm against it. Well, if you're for it, you're for it. If you're against it, you're against it. No principles. That's where we're at. So they were degenerate. Number two, they were, draw, they were like dross. Verse 17. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. Look at verse 19. Therefore, that, uh, thus saith the Lord God, behold, because you are all become dross, 
What is dross? It's what you, when they take like gold and they purify it, put it in the fire, in the furnace, purify it. What comes to the top, the impurities that come to the top is dross. And they scoop that off to make the gold purer and, and, and cleaner and purer. And he said, this is what you are, Israel. You're dross. You're the part that comes to the top and we take away. That's what you, you're degenerate, but you're also dross of no value anymore. I used to say they're dross and they're degenerate, but verse 23 through 29, they're just dirty. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, say unto them, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. They're just dirty. And I don't know about you, but we live in a dirty nation. You know, it used to be a day when, when, when they had to, uh, you went to the Hoochie Goochie show, they called it at the, at the fair. And everybody went and hid about it. Now they just do it out in the open. It used to be a day we call the bad place the red light district. Or the dirty place, and everybody was ashamed to go there. Now they just flaunt it. Why? Because we've become so dirty. And by the way, you <laughs> talking about dirty, you, you go to Portland where I'm where our church is. And every Sunday morning, preacher goes out there, him and me and some others, and we clean up right in front of the church. But that's okay. Two hours now to be dirty again. Because people go down and buy stuff and walk by, and you guys know it down there, and they just, if they're eating a hamburger, they just throw the bag and everything else right there on our property and keep walking. Like we're their, we're their big garbage can. I drive the road behind people. I was riding the road. I came out of the church here that day. Guy opened his stuff, and just, they opened the window, dropped it right on the road, and kept going. I thought, honey, you could have taken that up and put it in a garbage can somewhere. We're not your garbage can. But again, we're dirty everything else. Why not be dirty that way too? So you see the condition of land was, they were dirty, they were dross, they were degenerate. How about the character of the leadership? Look at this. There's a conspiracy, verse 25, of her prophets. In the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey, they have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure, precious things, they have made her many widows uh, in the midst thereof. These prophets have taken advantage of people. Down in verse number 28, it calls them untempered mortar, not mixed right, no good. They were teaching false doctrine. They were lying about the word of God in verse 28. They were saying God said this when God didn't say it. And we're filled with a bunch of preachers out there that says, God said when God never said that's where we're at. The leadership, the, the prophets. Now that, look at the priest. Verse 26, her priests have violated my law, profaned my holy thing. They have put no difference between the holy and the profane. We talked about that a minute ago. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbath. I have profaned among them. And I'm going to tell you something, that's what we're doing in America today in our churches. There's no difference between the holy and unholy, the profane and the, and there's no difference. But we're doing this to reach people. They violated the laws. They profaned the holy. The priest did. How about the prince? Look at verse number uh, uh, 27. Her prince in the midst of uh, there ever like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood, to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And then look at the people. Verse 29. The people of the land have used oppression, exercised robbery, have vexed the poor and needy, Yea, they have oppressed the strange, stranger wrongfully. They were a mess. And then I look at America and I see exactly the same thing. So I see the condition of land and I see the, char the character of the leadership. Pathetic. And then I see the call of God. And I sought for a man among them. I sought for a man. I sought for somebody. I sought for somebody. Somebody out there that would stand up, make up the hedge, stand in the gap so that, that and before me in the land that I should not destroy it. I see the responsibility was make up the hedge and stand in the gap. But I see the response to that call. And that is, I found none. Now look at this, verse 31. The consequences of their life. 
Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with my fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord. I poured out my indignation. I consumed them. I recompensed their ways upon them. They got back what they, they reaped what they sowed. Now, let me say this. God was searching for somebody. But in their time, he found none. And I believe if we look out over America today, we have a country that's a lot like that country was. Our characteristics are like their characteristics. Our attitudes are like their attitudes. Our attributes are like their attributes. And if God's word is true, and it is true, then God is going to do something if we don't have somebody who stands up and takes and makes a hedge and stands in the gap. What we need is a group of people who will take a stand. A group of people who will stand in the gap, make up the hedge and stand in the gap for the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody that will see this country's worth salvaging. Somebody will see their family's worth salvaging. Somebody will see their city's worth salvaging. Somebody will see their county's worth salvaging. Somebody will see their state's worth salvaging. But it doesn't start with talking about it. It starts with action. When somebody will stand up and say, I will be that man. I will be that woman who will stand, make up the hedge, and stand in the gap. Now, what kind of man or woman is God looking for? Number one, a man or woman of faith. We're not going to do it until we decide to really just believe God. Paul said when he was on the ship that was about to shipwreck, he said, wherefore, sirs, I believe God. And we've got to get back to saying, thus saith the Lord, I believe the God of this book. Look, either this book's true or it's not true. And if it's true, and it is, (coughs) excuse me, then what we need to do is start believing it. And only that which you really believe moves you to action. You can talk the talk, but if you don't walk the walk, it doesn't make any difference. Nobody cares about what you say. What they care is what you do. Uh, the one, one man said, no one, cares how, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And we need to get back in America, in our independent Baptist churches, to taking a stand for right and taking, making up the hedge. Somebody's got to do something to try to reach a lost and dying world that's going to hell in a handbasket, as Brother Lonnie used to say all the time. Somebody's got to do something. I don't know how many years I got left, but I know one thing. I want to be available by God and to believe God enough to do all I can to reach everybody I can when the time I got left and on this earth. I believe America is salvageable. I believe our churches are salvageable. I believe our cities are salvageable. Hebrews eleven twelve. Without faith it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And as he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. Habakkuk 2.4, behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by faith. Romans 1.17, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As is written, the just shall live by faith. Galatians 3.11, but no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, now the just shall live by faith. If any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. We need men and women who will just go back to believing God. Do you believe God? Do you believe that what God said in his book is true? Because only that which you really believe moves you to action. I've said it here and I've said it all over the place. If a little child was running out in the road, everybody in this room would believe he's going to get run over. And we would do whatever it took to get him out of the road. But there's a world that is streaming toward hell. And it's hard to get Christians motivated to get up and go out and even pass out a little simple track to somebody. Say, well, they'll turn me down. I had two people in the elevator this week at the hospital that turned me down. But also I had a bunch more that took it. I knock knock on doors every week. 
I knocked on doors and one guy said, I don't want that. No, thank you. Adam had a Jehovah Witness Tuesday afternoon, I mean Monday afternoon. They said to me, no, thank you. I can't take that. I'm a Jehovah Witness. I said, do you pass out the literature? And he said, yes. I said, but you won't take mine. But I know what y'all believe. So I'm talking about you know what I believe. It's kind of hypocritical for you to give it to me, but want me to take it. But you don't, I take yours. Now, what do I do with it, Brad? Exactly. That's one piece of literature somebody else won't get and be messed with, all right? He wouldn't even take it. I get that. But I also get it to, to take it and say, thank you. And this week, I had the privilege of seeing a 17-year-old young man bow his head and ask Jesus to save him while his mom was coming up. And then I got to talk to her. And then I talked to uh, a 15-year-old guy with his mama standing there and asked permission to talk to him. And she said, you can. And he bowed his head and asked Jesus to save him. The week before that, I was out on Monday and got the privilege of leading three people to the Lord. And the next day, three more. I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you what makes the difference. I happen to believe there is a hell. And then everybody that dies is going to go there if they don't get saved. And I know it's not all mine, but it is my responsibility when God brings me from my path to tell them something. I started to leave to come to church tonight, and the lady that's in charge over there, at the, at one, the lady, she goes, well, welcome back. It's been a while since you've been here. I said, July. She said, I remember. You know, and I remember you. You know why she remembers me, Brad? Because I told her about Jesus, and she said, I'm already saved. Just like everybody else that works there, I've tried to tell them. This morning, I started to leave, and I gave a track. I didn't have one years, Pastor. I wished I had them, and I, I need to get a couple. I said to a lady that's working, I said, ma'am, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going over here. I'm preaching at Community Baptist Temple. Have you ever been there? And she said, no. I said, it's where the old carousel was at. And we sure love it. And she said, well, thank you for asking me. And I gave her a track. I said, ma'am, do you know you're going to heaven when you die? That track tells you. And she goes, I don't think I know that. I said, wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And she said, yes. Now, I couldn't stop there. I was on my way out the door, and she was busy. I said, are you working tomorrow? And she said, no, but I'm working Tuesday. I said, I'd like to make an appointment Tuesday and share with you. You pray. I share with you how you can go to heaven when you die. You know why I believe that? Because I believe people that die without Christ are going to hell. Do you? Do you, sir? Do you, ma'am? Do you, sir? Do you, young person? Do you believe they're going to hell? What are you doing to reach them? That's where the rubber hits the road. You want a man and woman to stand in the gap? You have to believe God. Number two, a man and woman of courage. You know what? You know why people won't give the gospel? They don't have the courage to do it. Stand by themselves if necessary. Nobody wants to stand by themselves. You know how women won't dress right? Because they don't want to look different from everybody else that dresses wrong. You know how men don't want to act right and dress right sometimes? They want to be like everybody else in the world, and they don't want to stand out and be different. Say, yeah, but you're crazy. I know it. That's because I've taken a stand and look at it, what it's done to me. <laughs> I just happen to believe that God's word's true. Do you? I'm not being mean tonight, but it sounds like it, doesn't it? There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so will I be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Be strong of good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide from the inheritance land, which I swear unto the fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded me. And he said, be courageous to do what? To do according to all that's written in the law. Be courageous to do it. It takes courage to do all it says in this book. God wants a man or woman to make up the heads and stand in the gap that he won't destroy the land who has some courage some courage some courage and you go to God and say God I need courage this book of law shall not depart out of my mouth but thou shalt meditate there and day and night thou may observe to do according to all is written the very end for then thou shalt make the way prosperous and then thou shalt have good success have not I commend thee be strong and good courage be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. He said, you have the courage to stand for the book and do what it says. And he said, you have the courage because I am with you. And when I'm out knocking on doors, if I'm all by myself, I am not all by myself. Jesus said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. Either that's true or it's not true. And when Jesus said, when the Bible said, you're the holy, your temple, you're the body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, either the Holy Ghost lives in me or he doesn't. And if he doesn't live in me, I am not saved. 
So I am not alone when I walk out there. I've got the Holy Spirit of God. I've got Jesus with me all the way. According to the Word of God. I believe it's true. A man of faith or woman of faith. A man or woman of courage. A man or woman of prayer. There's where your courage is going to come from. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. You know that word righteous means? It means a saved man. It didn't mean a perfect man. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject like passing. We are. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it rained not on earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. If we would get earnest, if we would get fervent in our prayers, God would do something. And what we need is a man or a woman that make up the heads and stand in the gap who's a man or woman of prayer who says, I'm going to get on my face before Almighty God and I'm going to beg God to do something in my life and do something in the life of my church, do something in the life of my city, do something in the life of my county, do something in the life of my state. May God give us a group of people who will get on their knees before God and say, there's a God in heaven and I'm going to pray earnestly, I'm going to pray fervently, I'm going to beg God until God does something to make a difference. That's standing in the gap, standing in the hedge and making up the gap. But instead we want to play. Instead we want to do games. Instead we want to mess around. We want pleasure. Because prayers work. But it sure is wonderful. Prayers hard to get into sometimes. But man is it delightful once you get into it. It's God meets with you and you meet with God and you pour your heart out to him and say, oh God, I need you. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I don't deserve anything, but God, would you do something in the life of the people? God, would you do something in my life? Oh God, I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference. I want to stand in the, make up the hedge and stand in the gap. A man, a woman of faith, a man, a woman of courage, a man, a woman of prayer, a man, a woman of compassion. And of some have compassion. Making a difference. Compassion for the hopeless. That's the one who lost and no hope. Compassion for the hurting. I told the Lord back the first year, I said, I, I don't make New Year's resolutions. But I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know what I want to do this year? I may not win as many people as I won last year. And that's okay. But I just want to help people. I want to find people who need help. I want to try to lift their burdens and carry their loads. God, there's so many people who are hurting. There's so many people that their lives are being destroyed. And we got one, of the young, one lady in our church that she's had cancer and she went through, had uh, her breast removed and she had, she had all the cancer. And, I mean, it was just horrible on her. And she like never got over it. And she went for a checkup here that day and they found a, a little something here up here. And they went back and did a body, body scan and realized that it's cancer in her lungs and, and so forth. And so then they went back and did some other stuff and found out that it's not over the rest of her body. And we were rejoicing that it wasn't over the rest of her body until they said, but it's in stage four here. And for the rest of your life, however long that is, you'll have to do chemo and et cetera to live. And I looked at that young lady who's younger than I am, and I thought, bless her heart, she's already been through this whole thing of cancer. She's been through the sickness and the throwing up and everything else, and now she's got to go through this the rest of her life to live. You know what she needs, Pastor? Somebody that loves her, somebody that cares for her, and somebody to lift her burdens, and somebody to help her down the road. And she goes through this horrible thing called cancer again. And I'm sure over this, over this crowd tonight, there's folks who are going through the same thing. Somebody, somebody, somebody needs to stand in the gap and make up the hedge and help those people through their burdens and their heartaches. I was talking to a guy the other day, and out of the wild blue, he started telling me all of his burdens and his problems. I'm like, wow, that was quick. And then God brought to my memory. Didn't you say you wanted to help people that was hurting? And I said, God, forgive me. You're right, I did, didn't I? And he just had a unbelievable, but he did bow his head and ask Jesus to save him. 
Jesus had compassion on the lost in Matthew 9, 36 through 38. He had compassion on the leper in Mark 1, 41. He had compassion on the six in Matthew 14, 14. He had compassion on the demoniac in Acts 5, 19. He had compassion on the widow that her son died in Luke 7, 11 through 15. And on and on and on I could go of examples of Jesus' compassion. I tell you, the one that's going to make up the hedge and stand in the gap is the ones that have some compassion. Because compassion is showing unconditional love and pity. And when you have unconditional love and pity, it motivates you to do things you would have never done before. Love is a great motivator. God said, I'm, I'm looking for a man that will stand in the hedge, make up the hedge and stand in the gap that I'll not destroy the land. But he said, as I was seeking him, I didn't find anybody. What a sad statement. And he found none. What would he say if he came here tonight? A man or a woman of faithfulness. They're doing their job. More it's required of stewards, a man be found faithful. Just faithful. A man of faith, a man of courage, a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, a man or woman of compassion, a man or woman of faithfulness. We're desperately, we're in desperate need of men and women that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap. When God sought for a man, he found none. God is still seeking. Will he find me and will he find you? Are you willing to make up the hedge and stand in the gap? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. The old ship's worth salvaging. It's worth it. But we're going to have to get serious about reaching people. We're going to have to get serious about helping people. And we are to a certain degree. But how many notches could we take it up if we really got serious? If it became very important to us. My kids are important to me. When they want something, I jump. I can't always give them what they want. But when that phone rings, it's one of my kids. Excuse me, I'm going to answer it. When my wife calls, I'm going to answer it if I possibly can. Why? Because I have compassion, unconditional love and pity on them. And it motivates me. God said in his word, I want you to have faith. Have faith in God. Dr. Lee Robinson, the last few years of his life, was standing up. One of the main things he said, believe God. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. How's your faith in God? Do you believe this book's true? If you do believe it's true, has it motivated you to do anything about it? You know what revival starts when we get serious. Nobody likes to cut up and have fun anymore than I do, but when it comes to revival, folks, it's, it's serious time. It's not cut up time. It's time to get serious. It's time to say, this is the real life. Those are real people who have real heartaches. Those are real people who are really hurting. Those are real people who need somebody to help them. Those are, there's a real hell and people are going at it and don't get saved. God, help me do something. Help me do my part. What could I do? A man or woman to make up the hedge and stand in the gap that I'll not destroy the land. Father, bless the invitation time. Thank you for those who've come now, whatever their needs are. Please, Father, meet their needs. God, is they're pouring their heart out to you right now, would you hear them? You said you would not despise a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, as they come to you in contrition, humbling themselves before you on their knees, before you, God, would you bless them? Would you help them? Would you encourage them? Would you give them what they need to be a man or a woman, to stand in the gap or make up the hedge and stand in the gap? Oh, please, God, do something in this invitation that only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand our feet, our heads are by and eyes.